the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 1. We are starting a new series called A Thrill of Hope, and that is what uh, we are excited about every Christmas, and is obviously we have already um, begun with that theme this morning, um, lighting the hope candle. Um, in a world that sometimes feels hopeless to a lot of people, um, it's good to hear good news that there actually is hope. And when we talk about hope, um, in our culture, we tend to talk about it in terms of almost like possibility, right? Uh, we hope, it's kind of like I wish, when we're just kind of longing for like the possibility of a better tomorrow. Uh, but the Bible tells us that in Christ, we can have more than possibility, we get certainty. We don't just know things can be okay, we know things will be okay. And that's what we really want deep in our heart, and that's what every single one of us wants. And we believe that, that Jesus brings that, and that's what we get to celebrate um, every Sunday, but and we really focus on this particular time, this season, as the good news of the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. He is the one we're celebrating, and in Him, we can have certainty that everything's going to be okay, and not just a possibility of knowing everything's going to be okay. Jesus is the great hope bringer. With His birth, and His life, and His death, and His resurrection, uh, He offers hope to anyone who puts their faith and trust in Him. And for the next four Sundays... We will be camping out in John chapter 1, um, not covering the whole chapter, really focusing on the first 18 verses, but John 1 tells us about Jesus and his coming to earth and the implications of that in a way that's unique to the gospel of John, unique from really any other gospel. We're used to the stories from Matthew and particularly Luke. That's what we tend to read um, around the Christmas tree, but they begin with Jesus' birth. John begins before Jesus' birth. And leads up to Jesus' birth. And this morning we're going to dive into John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. And we're going to look at what John has to say about the word. Capital W you'll see there in your first five verses. A, a name he uses to describe Jesus. He reveals later in verses 14 through 18 of chapter 1 that Jesus is who he's talking about. And the first five verses of John teach incredibly powerful truth about Christ, and it's, it really is, it's, it's hope-giving truth, truth that really is revolutionary to our lives if it be true, and obviously we believe it's true and, and know that it's true, but what we learn about Jesus in, in these verses is not re only revolutionary, revolutionary for our lives, they're revolutionary for our neighbors' lives, they're revolutionary for our friends' lives, for our family members' lives, and for every life that can be transformed by Christ this Christmas, and so this idea that Jesus is the eternal word is life-changing truth. So look with me at John chapter 1, and we're going to start, and we're just going to read verse 1 through verse 5, and that's where we're going to camp out this morning. Look with me. It's on the screen for you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the first 18 verses of John are the prologue, or you might say the introduction to John's gospel. He unpacks the truth of these first 18 verses throughout the book. They're kind of setting up what he's going to unpack. So many major themes that run throughout John's gospel, like darkness and light and believing in Jesus and having life in his name, those big <laughs> themes begin here. And the first five verses, you might say, are kind of like the introduction to the introduction. 
So we're just going to work our way through these first five verses this morning, a verse at a time. And I want to show you four things that they reveal about Jesus this morning that can be transformational for our life that is Jesus as the eternal, eternal word. So the first thing, number one, Jesus is and reveals God. Jesus is God and reveals God. Jesus is and reveals God. Look at the first verse. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Now, we said down in verses 14 through 18, he shows us that he's talking about Jesus. He says, the Word became flesh. And then he talks about who that flesh and bone person was. He says, it's, the, it's Jesus Christ. And we'll be looking at that passage in a few weeks. But, and so when he, we read this, having understanding of, he's talking about Jesus. Now, if you're reading this for the very first time, and, and you, got, you, know, you got a copy of John's gospel and you picked it up and started reading it, you'd be like, what is this all about? What is this the word? And by the time you read, uh, you know, a minute or two in, you got down to the last few verses, or middle of chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, you would realize, oh, he's talking about Jesus. And a lot of things would come into your mind about what he's talking about. But if you were a Jewish person and you were reading this in, in John's day and you were very familiar with the Old Testament, you would immediately, when you see these first five verses, start thinking about another book of the Bible. And the book of Genesis. And because that is obviously what John is echoing here when he says, In the beginning was the Word. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Think about the two verses we just read. Now listen to these verses that Moses writes in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So before John launches into and goes into the second verse that even also lines up with these first four verses about creation and about how the words involved in creation, he introduces us to this character, this person, this the word, and obviously the first century Jew and early Christians in that day, and hopefully us today, we read that and we begin to go, oh, well, we see creation, and I see when God created, and, and he said, right? God spoke. The Lord, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so that's what they did. They would have associated it in that way, and they begin to think, okay, the word, and they see creation, and you're starting to put these things together. John, John is clearly pointing us back to the Old Testament. Notice the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus existed before creation. Jesus is not created like you and I. Jesus is eternal is what he's telling us. He was there in the beginning before time began. Jesus was with God in a relationship with God. And at the same time, he was and is God. So John is writing in a way here that is pointing to the Trinity, to the, to the fact that God is triune. Right? God eternally exists in three persons we talk about. There is one God, but he exists in Three persons. Now try to wrap your head around that and you have a good long lunch discussion about it. And, and you can, man, you can just talk about it for, for centuries just like we've done in the church. It's, man, we just can't fully wrap our minds around uh, the beauty and the grandeur of God. But he's pointing to two of the persons of the Trinity right here. Right? He says, he, the word, was with God. So he's distinct. Right? But at the same time, he says he was God. So he's, he's unified with God. So it, you see the Trinity being unpacked right here. And then you go, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, he's echoing Genesis 1. And we just read Genesis 1 says, and the Spirit of God was there hovering over the waters. And so John is tying in here with Genesis 1 and John 1. And he's showing us a picture of that both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there and involved in creation. Now, people struggle with this. People struggle with this idea, the idea that Jesus is God, that Jesus is eternal God. Not just like God, 
not just a type of deity or a little God or God Jr., not just a God representative that's been elected by God to be sent here to the earth, but he is equal with the Father in deity. He is God. And if one doesn't believe, though, that Jesus is God, the Son, and not just the Son of God, but God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh, one One's not believing in the Jesus of the Bible. You've got a Jesus, another Jesus altogether. We've, we've created an idol in our image and in our mind's image as opposed to taking Jesus as the Bible presents him to us. Speaking of Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. He takes the invisible God and he makes him visible for us when he, become, when he became flesh, right? He is... God. We are created in God's image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So the real question is, when we read this passage, though, is what does he mean by the word? Like, wh where does he get that phrase? And why, why does he come up with that? Why, why, why use that to describe Jesus? Why not just say the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus? Why say the word? Well, this is a bit of a loaded term in John's day. It's the Greek word logos. And to many of the Greeks, logos was rationality and logic. And to them, that, that was what was most important in life, logic and reason, being rational. And the Stoics, even, as D.A. Carson notes, uh, they believed that the Logos was the rational principle by which everything existed. It, 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 was, it, it was in place of God in their mind. But John is primarily not actually speaking in their terms. He's primarily speaking in Hebrew terms. He's primarily pointing to the Old Testament imagery as he does throughout the Gospel of John. But he's doing it and chooses to do so in a way that would obviously have gotten a Gentile's, obviously have gotten a Greek's attention. The Old Testament use of this, like you see in Genesis 1-3 that we read earlier, is that you see God creating, showing his power through his word. I love what D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson writes about this. Let me read it to you. He says, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. And the personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. See, what he's saying is Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus communicates to us who God is because he is God who has come to us. But Jesus is the word. He's God's ultimate self-disclosure of himself. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. Just as our words reveal our mind and heart, so Christ reveals the mind and heart of God to men. The writer of Hebrews said it this way in Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He has spoken to us by his son. God has expressed himself. He has made himself known in Jesus Christ. See, we're not always great at expressing ourselves. In fact, some of us are reluctant to express ourselves. Now, some of us, we're very good at expressing ourselves. I remember as a kid growing up, and I'm having to reap what I've sown. My mom would ask me after school. She'd say, how was school today? And I'd say, fine. It could have been a horrible day. How was school today? Fine. Could have been the best day of the year. How was it? Fine. And that was just a certain age. You just kind of hit that, I guess. I, I remember her just going, every day it's fine. You know, uh, can you not give me more than that? And so the other day, 
picking up Cannon, and, and it's his birthday weekend, and we're headed off, and he's uh, in the car. Hey, how was school today? Oh, yeah. He's six, right? So he just turned six today, and so he's already, right, kind of like uh, reluctant. And, and I said, well, tell us what happened. Well, I had to tell everybody my, my, um, my favorite things. My teacher, since it's my birthday week, she made, you know, they celebrate his birthday in class on Friday, uh, made me tell everybody my favorite things. Oh, really? What were your favorite things? Ah, it's too long to list. I don't want to tell them. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? And, and so then he starts to negotiate. I, how about I just tell you three of them? We're like, we'll take three, and then maybe you can tell us three later. Okay, but three now. Okay. And I, I just don't want to, right? And sometimes we're like that. We're just kind of reluctant to share information for whatever the reason may be. But God's not like that. God has made himself known. He is fully express himself. You do not have to wonder this morning what God is like, what his heart is. You don't have to wonder what his heart towards his people is, what his heart towards you is, what, what, is, what, what his heart towards his purposes are. Or he's made it known. We don't serve a God who keeps himself clouded in just utter mystery in a way that you can't be sure about his character or his will. He has revealed it in Jesus Christ. God has spoken. Yes, he's given us the Bible. We have his word, but he has given us Jesus Christ that the word points to. The word is showing us and pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. God has made himself known. And so Jesus Christ is and reveals God. Number two, Jesus is the agent of creation. Verse three says, all things are made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Everything. He was not excluded from any part of creation. That's a, another reason he can't be creation. He can't be a creation because he was a part of all that was created. He was never excluded from anything. Everything that was made was made through Jesus. The Apostle Paul echoes this when he writes in Colossians 1.16, talking about Jesus. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, through Jesus, and for him, for Jesus. So Paul gives us an add-on here. Everything in all the earth was not only made through Jesus, it's made for Jesus. So what John and later Paul are telling us about Jesus is astounding. The man that lived 2,000 years ago that was born in a manger that was a carpenter's son, this man who was crucified by Rome at the request of the Jewish leadership, this man is not just any man. This man is God, and all the earth was made through him and for him. That is astounding truth. And it means something for us because it means, listen, you're, you're handcrafted. You were made. You are not an accident. Your neighbor is not an accident, and your enemy is not an accident. There is a creator, and the, and the man Jesus Christ, the creator, has stepped in to human history. You exist for him. You exist for God. You exist for his son, Jesus Christ. You exist to give glory to and to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we exist for the one who created, for the one who made us. He made all things. We were made through him and for him, Paul adds. And that, that makes sense, right? When you, when you had your Thanksgiving meal, and hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving meal this, this past week, I went back home to... Um, uh, where I grew up in North Alabama to, to be with family for Thanksgiving. And, and, you know, when you sit down and eat that Thanksgiving meal, you don't sit there and eat. And nobody looks at you and says, you know what? You were such a good eater. I mean, you, I mean, just the way you enjoy that food, 
is awesome, right? I mean, just, I mean, and, and where I'm from, we have, we, have, we have chicken and dressing, and I know some of you people eat, eat stuffing and whatever that is, but we had chicken and dressing, and right, so nobody, oh man, the way you enjoy that dressing is awesome and incredible. Nobody does that. No, when you taste good food, that's not what you do. You don't say, well, man, the person eating the food is just a really good food eater. Um, <laughs> you should write an eat book. You really should. I mean, I would read your eat book. Now, they write, we write cookbooks, right? And we give the praise and the glory to the cook. The one that made it, we go, wow, this is good. Who made this? That's what you say, right? Who made this? Wow, you did an incredible job. It makes sense to us in this life, in like every other realm, but in the way we actually live our lives, that we should give honor and glory to who made, right? Who made things. And so it makes sense that Jesus, if he's the agent of creation, if all things are made through him and all things are made for him, that he is the one who is worthy of our worship, of our honor, and of our glory, not ourselves. We shouldn't live for ourselves. We should live for Jesus. He's worthy of our allegiance and our obedience. You are made through Jesus and for Jesus. Number three, Jesus gives life and life. He's the agent of creation. Number three, the third revolutionary thing we learn about Jesus is he gives life and he gives light. Verse four says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Two common themes throughout John are these themes of life and light. Remember, he's echoing Genesis, though, in these first few verses. Now, Bible scholars differ over whether he is primarily talking about creation here or if he's beginning to transition to spiritual things and the new creation. And there is a real sense in which John is, is kind of paralleling here with Genesis, and he's talking about, boom, creation came. Of course, we know we don't just live in a Genesis 1 world. We live in a Genesis 3 world. Sin came. And then in John 1, Jesus is ushering in what? New creation, right? And so we have this picture here, though, and John is purposely being a little ambiguous here. What does he mean by life? What does he mean by light? Well, he can mean several things. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Now, we literally get life from him. We get air in our lungs from him because he created all things, in particular, life as relates to humanity. He says the life was the, though, was the light of men. Now, I quoted to you from D.A. Carson earlier. I want to do that one more time. Carson says this could be pointing to about three things be pointing to the fact that you're made in God's image. We call it the Imago Dei. Each of us are made in God's image, made to, 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 to know God, to belong to God, made to relate to God in a certain way, made to represent God in some ways. We are, we are made in his image. We are made with dignity, value, and worth. And at the same time, it could also point to general revelation. In God's creation, God has revealed himself in certain ways through creation. As Roman 1 says, there's no excuse for us to not worship God. He has made himself known through creation, though we know he has fully revealed himself in Jesus. Now, he could also be talking about the coming of the Son of God. So there's, there's, there's like all these different things. Now, here's the thing. John, in his book, talks about how spiritual life and true eternal life come only through Christ. That is a major theme in John. That, and he also tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. That was one of Jesus' I am statements. I am the light of the world. And light has all kinds of Old Testament connotations with salvation and truth and the revelation of God. So here's the big picture when you see this. In him was life and life was the light of men. You are made in God's image. Jesus Christ has given you life and ensured that you are stamped with the image of God. You are made with dignity and value and worth and every life matters from the womb to the tomb and every life is precious but as we know the image of God in us is marred when we see a creation around us that is marred as I said we don't just live in a Genesis 1 world where God says it is good and it's all good we live in a Genesis 3 world where we come in and we we sin and things get a little crazy 
And we see sin and we see darkness and we see we live in a fallen world. We have a fallen nature. We are sinners and we need salvation. And Jesus is not only the one who gives us this physical life, but he is the one who gives eternal life and salvation. We are made in God's image and, and God and his salvation has been revealed and brought to us in Christ. He reveals God to us. True knowledge of God and salvation is only found in him. And in an impure world, Jesus and his light is the only thing that can make us pure. See, when we think of these connotations of life and light, sometimes I, you know, it got me thinking about the sun, right? We can't, exist, we can't have life without the light of the sun. We need the sun to survive or we'd freeze to death, right? God has so organized the world physically that we can't survive without the sun. We can't live without the light of the sun. And in a similar way, he has so organized the world spiritually that we can't have spiritual life without the Son of God, without Christ, the light of the world. Without the life he gives, our life will be without light, without the understanding of God, without understanding of meaning and purpose and life. For he is the revealer of truth, the bringer of salvation. He, he is the light. See, Jesus Christ reveals the true meaning to life. You cannot make sense of life or its purpose apart from Jesus. He brings true knowledge of God, revealing who God is and why we're here. He, he's, the, he's the light in a world filled with sin and darkness and, and ignorance towards God. So you're alive because of Jesus, Jesus and your life has, has meaning because of Jesus. Because you're made in the image of God. And when we live our lives like when we live our lives like the meaning of life is found in us, like we are the end all, like, 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 like we are what's most important in life, in the end, that never ends well. It never ends well. See, if Jesus is the one through whom all things were created, and as Colossians says, for whom all things were created, if Jesus is the word that imparts life, and if that life is the light of men, then you cannot find true purpose and meaning and direction in life apart from him. You can't find your creator apart from him. So if you're a believer this morning, and if you're going through life right now sort of meandering, wandering, without real aim and real purpose and real direction, if you feel like your day is just surviving, you have wandered in some way spiritually from Christ. See, when we get away from following Christ wholeheartedly, we get away from the one who reveals and brings meaning and purpose to life, to, to, our, to our day. We get away from the one who, who orders our life properly. We get away from the one who saved us and re revealed God to us and, and gave new and fresh meaning to, to life to us. See, some people think the meaning of life is, is family or is friendship, accomplishment, all good things, all gifts from God, but the meaning of life is in knowing and worshiping God and knowing and worshiping Christ. Our, our meaning is found through knowing the eternal word, the Son of God. And when we look to God's good gifts instead of God for our meaning and purpose, we become, we become idolaters. And we will feel that our life actually has less purpose and less meaning when we do that because we've gotten things out of order. We are ignoring the light of Christ and what he has shown, and we are living in darkness. And we're, instead of living like life is about him and is about God, and we start living like life is about family or friends or relationships or some romantic relationship or work or achieving something or money or building wealth or whatever it may be, we begin to 
take those things and put them in a way that, that they don't belong. And what we end up doing is we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't help matters. We, 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 we harm matters. And ultimately, we can harm relationships when we do that as well. Because when, when you take things and you put them where they don't belong, you, you don't honor those things. You hurt those things. It's, it's like when I was um, a kid, I loved baseball cards. And I've still got, like, tons of baseball cards somewhere. And um, not really sure where, but I've got them somewhere. And, uh, and I loved them, right? And I would get the little baseball card things, and I would look up how much they were worth. Anybody else do that? And, you know, so, and I would look up, and I was like, okay, I've got this 1992 whatever rookie card. Look it up. It's worth, it's worth this. And, but what I'd like to do is I'd flip back to the cards that were from, like, the 50s and the 60s. Man, those were worth a lot more. And I'd see in there, you know, there's Mickey Mantle's rookie card. Now it's worth whatever, $10,000 or whatever. And I'm like, wow. And I go talk to my dad about it. He's like, oh, yeah, I used to have all those cards. He's like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, I had Mickey Mantle and Hank Aaron and Willie Mays, you know. And I'm like, really? Where are they? Well, one of the things we used to do is we would stick them on our bicycles, folks. <laughs> and when we would ride the bicycle, it would sound more like a motorcycle and less like a bicycle. And I'm like, that was $10,000 on your bicycle spoke. You could have bought a motorcycle with $10,000, you know? But when you take something, and, you know, no matter what, what that thing might be, you take a relationship, your family, your children, you make it, and you put it in the wrong place, we, we, don't, and we don't really value those things. We actually, we actually harm those things, right? We take something valuable, and we use it in a way contrary to what, it was, what it's best used for, right? We don't, he didn't. He didn't honor the card. Ultimately, he ruined the card and lost value, right? And that's what kids do. That's what, you know, I did that kind of silly stuff too when I was a kid. But as human beings, we do that too as adults. We take things that God gives us, good things that are of value, and we place on them a weight that they can't bear, right? We give too much meaning and purpose to them, or we give too little meaning and purpose to them because we're sinners, and that's what we do. We run into the ditch on the left, we run into the ditch on the right. We don't walk the straight and narrow. Or we make too little of family or we make so much of it. We make too little of work or we make so much of it. We make too little of achieving an accomplishment or we, or we make too much of it. We make it an idol. But when you give to something what only God should have in your life, you ultimately can crush that thing. It can't bear the weight of that expectation. You'll harm the relationship with it or you'll do damage to it. You'll ruin yourself on it. The only one is made to bear the weight of expectation of giving meaning and purpose to your life, and that's Jesus. It's not your kids. It's not your spouse. That'll ruin your marriage, ruin your relationship with your kids. It'll and ultimately, if you do the same thing with work, that'll ruin all kinds of relationships and stuff too. Our life gets out of balance and out of whack when we live for these things instead of living for the one who gave us these things, the one who brings life and gives light. Only one is made to bear the weight of expectation in our life of giving meaning and purpose. And that's our creator, Jesus. And when you follow him rightly, your life will get ordered rightly, including your relationships and your family and your work and all the other things begin to fall into place when you rightly honor Christ. So if your life is feeling a little out of balance, out of whack this morning, if certain things are not exactly living up to your expectations, could it be that you have them in the wrong place and are looking for them to do what they are not meant to do in the first place? what God never gave them for you to do. The fourth thing we learn about Jesus for us this morning that is revolutionary, that verse 5 is pointing us to, that he's going to show us more about later in the gospel, is that Jesus is victorious. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, darkness and light are major themes for John throughout his gospel. Here he continues to draw on the creation theme. Remember, the earth was dark, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
The darkness didn't overcome the light. The, the light overcame the darkness. But John is also using that to point us forward, right? And so due to sin, we know the world is broken. People show ignorance towards God. People walk in rebellion. We, we walk in unbelief. And the world is a dark place. We have dark places in our life. It's a place where demonic forces are at work, a place where people are in rebellion against God. That's the world we live in. We live in a fallen, broken, dark world. In John 3, 19, John goes on to write, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So light comes into the world. He's going to tell us in chapter 3, but guess what? People... People love the darkness. He goes on to say, so they, they run away from the light. They run towards the darkness. They don't want their deeds exposed. We're, we're, we're sinful. We're, we're sinners. But there's hope. The light of the Son of God has shined, and the darkness has not, John says, overcome it. The word shines in, in the Greek, is, is, is he, in the Hebrew, is, is present active. The idea is that it continuously shines. In other words, the light of Christ still shines today. It continuously shines forth and has not been overcome. The word overcome there can be translated in a couple of different ways. And so, depending on the translation you might have in your lap this morning, you might have one that talks about being apprehended or, or being understood. And it says, in, my, in, in, in that sense, it means uh, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not really understood it and, and maybe has rejected it. And he's going to talk about that later on. That's one of those things that word can mean. But the, the stronger rendering is, is, is what you see there in the ESV is that, is that it, 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 tried, it tried to lay hold of it for the purpose of defeating it, to overcome it. And both things are true. The world fails to understand Christ apart from the Holy Spirit revealing the truth of God to us. But at the same time, the darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ. In a world that is full of sin and sickness and death and unbelief and demons, in a world that can make you feel hopeless, Jesus Christ is the victor. The darkness has not overcome. In fact, Jesus has overcome. We, we still see sin. We still see darkness and death and unbelief and rebellion. But Jesus has ensured us that there will be a day when his people will live without sin and sickness and death. There is coming a day when we will know and taste victory in every arena of our lives. See, on the cross, it looked like darkness had triumphed, didn't it? The Son of God, the eternal word as John calls him, the light of the world was, was crucified. But his death was ultimately going to bring life, right? So from, the, from a worldly perspective, it looks like he's defeated. The Romans and the Jews have conspired together and they have found a way to defeat him. And he's, he's nailed to a cross. And one of the gospels even talking about darkness coming over the earth. And it seems like darkness has won. But on the cross, what is actually happening is, is Jesus is, is taking our sin, bearing our sin, taking the punishment we deserve. Dying in our place and ultimately crushing, as we read about earlier this morning, the head of the serpent. And what looked like weakness would ultimately be strength. And we know three days later he rose from the dead in victory. And that he is coming back again one day. And there is coming a day when he will, we, will, we will reign with him in a new heaven and a new earth without sin, without shame. Because of his life and his death and his resurrection because of what he accomplished when he came. Jesus is victorious. And the best way for us to be victorious over the spiritual darkness in our life, our struggles with shame and sin, is to align ourselves with the victor, right? 
If you're a sports fan, you know there are some players and some coaches who, ju who just win more, right? Whether it's Michael Jordan or Tom Brady or LeBron James or Derek Jeter. I, I name those people. They play different sports and things like that. But they all have something in common. They all won. They all win a lot. Or they won a lot when they played. But you know who else got trophies and rings? All the other people on the team that weren't the star. And all the other coaches that weren't the head coach. They got rings too, right? Because, and, and part of it was because they were on these teams with these great players and these great people, all that sort of stuff, right? And in the same way for us, people who are defeated by sin, people who, let's be honest this morning, left to ourselves, we will just continue in our patterns of sin and rebellion against God and continue to do the things that destroy and eat away at our lives and our relationships. When we align with Christ, we're adopted into His family. We have God as our heavenly father. We have Jesus as our elder brother. We, we, and we have his victory that he shares with us, that he won for us. So, so we get a ring, right? We get, we get a trophy. We, we, we get his victory. He shares it with us because he is the ultimate victor. So when we align with him through faith, we become his and are in his family, on his team, and we get spiritual victory. Jesus brings true spiritual victory in life. And you cannot have victory over sin and darkness apart from Christ. The darkness of unbelief, the darkness of sin, the darkness of addiction and lust and greed and selfishness is only dispelled by Jesus. So if you want to experience victory over sin and over the worst parts of you, it only comes through Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, what dark place in your life today needs the light of Christ this morning? What area in your life are you harboring darkness? What area are you refusing to trust God with, believe God in? What area of your life are you refusing to walk with God? Is there an area like that? Someone may be harboring unforgiveness. It's an area of darkness in your life. For some, it may be protecting a secret sin. Maybe you need to hear this morning, there is no such thing as a secret sin. God sees everything. For some, maybe you're feeding an addiction. And maybe nobody really even knows about it. Or maybe they just haven't had the boldness to say anything to you about it, though they can see it. For some of you, maybe you're compromising your integrity. For some, maybe you're simply refusing to trust and believe God with your future or with your finances or with your relationships, whatever it may be. The dark places in our life can only be dispelled by the light of Christ. See, if you don't know Christ today, you can't experience true spiritual victory over sin, death, and hell. That only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died to give that to you. And believer, if, you, if your life looks more like moral darkness than light this morning, it means you're not walking with Jesus. When we walk with him, we walk in light. Wherever Jesus is followed, his light shines. <coughs> Jesus Christ is the eternal word. He is God and reveals God to us. And because of him, we can know God and what God is like. We can know his heart. He's the agent of creation, worthy of our worship. In him is life, and his life is the light of men. True meaning and purpose are only found in him, and his light is a victorious light. With him, we can have spiritual victory. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? And if you do, are you walking with him in spiritual victory this morning? Let's pray.